So it is uh, my privilege to welcome back uh, Jagar and Jemima. Uh, Jagar is a good friend of mine. He recently got to go to a, like a pastor's retreat that I normally go to, but I wasn't able to go this year, so I was very envious of that. Um, and, uh, but Jagar is here to bring God's word uh, to us. And uh, we have been supporting uh, them for several years now, and I expect we will continue to do that for several years. Uh, they have quite uh, the ministry in Herndon, where they are uh, serving as our missionaries uh, to an international population uh, in Herndon. And uh, we are so delighted that you both are here today. Jagar, come and open God's word for us. I'll be reading the scripture from the ESV version, but bear in mind that uh, I'll be constantly turning to New King James Version. Um, so now we have the word of God before us, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Remember, God's word is holy, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these, these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his own word. Let us pray. O oh, gracious Father, we come before your holy and eternal word. Lord, Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will remain ignorant or naive towards the truths, the absolute truths found in the Holy Scriptures. So we seek the help of the Holy Spirit to illumine the Word of God to us because your Word is living and powerful. And we ask, may the Holy Spirit sink, sink deep into our hearts the truths, the truths which are found in this text. Lord, humble us and may we be teachable. So we pray for the Holy, the help of the Holy Spirit right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Witnessing for Christ is not something new. It is old. It is 2,000 years old, and it is found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. The apostles vigorously witnessed for Christ despite oppositions and persecutions. In fact, the gospel traveled and still is traveling to the ends of the earth today. But then what motivated the apostles to be effective witnesses for Christ. What motivated the apostles to be 
effective witnesses for Christ. And what should motivate you and me to be effective witnesses for Jesus? And the answer is, from this text, the, ascent, the ascension of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the resurrection of Christ is important because without that, Christianity collapses. But on the other hand, the ascension of Christ is also equally important. And how often we think about the ascension of Christ and how often do we meditate upon the ascension of Christ? You know, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, pastor and theologian, in his book, The Work of Christ, said the following words concerning the ascension of Jesus. Listen carefully, quote, If there is any dimension of the life and the work of Jesus that is woefully neglected in the life of the church today, I believe it is his ascension. Yet, in New Testament categories, the ascension is the acme of Jesus' work. Unquote. What is R.C. Sproul saying here? Two things. Number one, the ascension of Jesus is the acme or apex of the work of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus is the high point of the work of Christ. And number two, R.C. Sproul is saying that the ascension of Jesus is woefully or sadly neglected in the life of the church today. Is that not true? Hmm? So from this text, what I would like all of us to learn is this. The ascension of Jesus was vital to motivate the apostles to be effective witnesses for Jesus. Let me repeat. The ascension of Jesus was vital to motivate the apostles to be effective witnesses for Jesus. So we are going to examine this text under these three headings. Number one, the call to be witnesses, verse 9. The call to be witnesses. Number two, the ascension of Jesus, verses 9 through 10. The ascension of Jesus. Number three, the promised return of Jesus. The promised return of Jesus, verse 11. The call to be witnesses, the ascension of Jesus, the promised return of Jesus. So let us begin by looking at the first heading. The call to be witnesses, verse 9. So look at verse 9. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What is meant by these things? So we need to go back to verse 4. Look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
In other words, Jesus commanded his apostles not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. And that promise of the Father was referred to as the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When? On the day of Pentecost. And that would happen in 10 days time after Jesus would have ascended into heaven. See, Jesus promised all these things to his disciples. And so Jesus called his disciples to be patient, to wait on the Lord, to wait on the Lord for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus called the coming of the Holy Spirit as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, often we hear this word, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what is meant by that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit or the anointing of the Holy Spirit refers to the receiving of power. Look at verse 8a. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Those were the words of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. So what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And why the need for the anointing of the disciples of Jesus Christ? Power. Power from above. And that is called the supernatural power. You know, even the disciples of Jesus Christ, the apostles needed that supernatural power in order to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Uh, for Jesus Christ. So the disciples of Jesus needed to be empowered to do an important task to carry out the mission for Jesus, to be witnesses for Jesus. Look at verse 8b. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus said, you shall be witnesses, you, my disciples, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice Jesus called the apostles to be witnesses in Jerusalem first and then to the rest of the world. Because that is the plan of God. The gospel was to flow out from Zion which is Jerusalem, in, content, in concentric circles uh, or in widening of the circles. In other words, Jesus wanted the gospel to go out from Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. 
So what could motivate the apostles to be witnesses for Jesus? Remember their question to Jesus in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, the apostles were still thinking of earthly kingdom. They were still thinking that Jesus would somehow would, would take over the Roman Empire. They were still thinking about the kingdom of Israel. They were not thinking about the kingdom of God. But Jesus had something bigger than the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was thinking about the kingdom of God. But then the apostles will come to a better understanding of Christ's kingdom and the purpose after witnessing the ascension of Jesus. So we come to the second heading, the ascension of Jesus, verses 9 through 10. So look at verse 9b. He was... Now, now, uh, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received, received him out of their sight. What did they watch? They watched Jesus was taken up. The cloud received him out of sight. In other words, they witnessed a public, visible, and bodily ascension of Jesus. It must have been a spectacular event. It was a public event. Moreover, it was a supernatural event. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a supernatural event because it was against nature. No man has come to life from the dead and did not die again except Jesus. So the resurrection of Jesus was against nature and so was the ascension of Jesus. Even the earth's, earth's gravity had no power to hold Jesus back from ascending to heaven. Have you thought about that? It was a supernatural event that Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, what is the ascension of Jesus? Where was Jesus being lifted to? And the answer is very simple, isn't it? He was taken into heaven. And let me remind you, Jesus told his disciples several times in the past concerning his ascension. There are several verses, but I want to point to you one verse. John chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus said to his disciples, I came forth from the Father and and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. 
Jesus had already told his disciples that he would ascend into heaven. Jesus came down from heaven and lived on this earth for 33 years. Having accomplished all that was necessary for the redemption of man, Jesus was ready to return to his father. And Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Greater works refers to evangelism. And Jesus said, it, is, it was only after his ascension, to Christ, uh, ascension into heaven that his disciples would do greater works. And that is evangelism, bearing witness for Christ. And so Jesus, de Jesus' departure was necessary for the kingdom's work to continue at greater level. Even now, Jesus from heaven is accomplishing far greater works to, through Christians, you and me, on earth in the area of evangelism. As I mentioned before, R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul regarded the ascension of Jesus as the apex of the work of Jesus. And that is true. The return of Jesus to heaven means two things. In fact, the benefits of the ascension of Christ are several, but I just want to lay before you two things. Number one, enthronement of Jesus enthronement of Jesus. Number two, intercession. Intercession. In other words, ruling and praying. Let us look at the first one, enthronement of Jesus. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And, bef and Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, what did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, Jesus is king. Jesus is the supreme ruler. He is the king of the universe. A king superior than any earthly king. The question is this, what is Jesus being the king doing in heaven? And here I must turn to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which answers this question. Shorter Catechism, question 26. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? How doth Christ execute the office of a king? And the answer is, Christ executed the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Here the word enemies means all those who oppose the gospel. See, Jesus as a king, he is now ruling over us. 
and he's conquering all his enemies. You know, we are living in a time where we get very frustrated with our leaders and the kind of oppression that we are going through. And sometimes we get very, um, we go, we become despair. But here we find comfort. The earthly kings only last for a while, but we have a eternal king in heaven ruling over us, whereby we can rest in him. So the Lord Jesus Christ not only protect us, but what he's doing now is he's conquering ours and his enemies. He's now ushering his enemies into the kingdom of God. And all this is possible because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because of the ascension of Jesus Christ, now that he is enthroned in heaven. The second benefit, intercession. Intercession. Jesus, now as a priest, is praying for you and me. How often do we think about this? That this Lord Jesus Christ, being an advocate for us, is now praying for you and me. And again, here we must turn to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 25, which asks the question, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? And the answer is, Christ executed the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. Alongside with this, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8.34, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know, many religious leaders came died, they remain in the earth, under the earth. They did not resurrect or ascend into heaven, but our Lord Jesus Christ resurrected and he's now ascended into heaven and he is praying for us. What a great comfort we have. Sometimes our close ones may fail to pray for us, but never the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood up, stood by them in white apparel. The disciples of Jesus Christ, they looked steadfastly toward heaven as Jesus went up into heaven. The look, look that writer of this book tells us the disciples looked steadfastly, meaning their eyes were lifted up and their eyes were fixed upon Jesus. The same author Luke gives us a graphic picture of Christ's ascension in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, 
verses 50 and 51. Listen to these. And he led them out as far as Bethany, referring to Jesus. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. The disciples of Jesus stared intently. They stared intently as Jesus disappeared into the cloud. You know, for three years, the disciples of Jesus were with Jesus. They toiled with Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they drank with Jesus, they traveled together with Jesus, and they performed ministry together with Jesus. In fact, they received first-hand teachings from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were, in fact, compa companions to Jesus. And now it was time for Jesus to leave the, dis leave the disciples and depart to heaven. While they were gazing at the sky steadfastly, they received an encouraging promise. What was that? So we come to the third heading. The promised return of Jesus. The promised return of Jesus. Verse 11. Earlier mentioned R.C. Sproul. And R.C. Sproul is right that the ascension of Jesus is the apex of the work of Jesus. Because without the ascension of Jesus, then we will not have the promised return of Jesus. Isn't that true? If Jesus had not ascended into heaven, then there's no, um, there's, we will not anticipate this, the second coming of Christ. Look at verse 10, um, B and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So from this text, we are told there were two angels who appeared in white garments, and the angels said to them, men of Galilee, addressing the 11, the 11 disciples minus Judas, they, the angels addressed the disciples as the Galileans. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Now, the question is this, were the disciples excited in watching Jesus ascending to heaven? Were they excited? Were they happy? Maybe not. It seemed that they were, they were gazing at Jesus as people without hope. It seemed that it was a final goodbye to Jesus. It seemed that they had been filled with great sorrow, fears, anxieties. 
And look at the way how the angels encouraged the apostles. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. See, these words of the angels must have encouraged them greatly. The same Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, with his glorified body, who ascended into heaven publicly and visibly, will return. And, and, and the angel said, he will come in the same manner as he left for heaven. He will come in a public, visible manner. He will come with the same resurrected and glorified body. When will he come? And the answer is, it is not for us to know the times or seasons. Only the Father knows. Jesus said this to the disciples. Nobody knows. But he will come, certainly. Here Luke does not paint for us the picture of his second coming. But the Apostle Paul does. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, listen very carefully what the Apostle wrote. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The second coming of Jesus is certain. He will descend from heaven again in a glorious manner. He will descend from heaven in a triumphant manner. So what would be the purpose of his second coming? Judgment. Judgment. Now, having heard the promise that Jesus will return, what was the state of the disciples. Again, the same author Luke tells us in Luke chapter 24, verses 52 and 53. And they, referring to the disciples, the disciples worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. What was the state of the disciples? They were filled with great joy, knowing that he is going to come back. And so they were worshiping God. You see, the resurrection of the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. And the second coming of Jesus should cause us to be joyful, just like the disciples. You know, today, many Christians appear to be very grumpy. Eh? <laughs> but not the disciples of Jesus. We must lead a joyful Christian life. 
because our Lord Jesus is not dead. He is a living Christ. So what did the ascension of Jesus motivate the apostles to do? It motivated the apostles to be effective witnesses for Jesus. See, the mission of Jesus was complete for him. He ascended into heaven. Now the apostles must continue that mission on the earth. And so Jesus promised that they would be empowered by the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were to be witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus entrusted the mission, the important mission of evangelism to the apostles. The apostles must carry out that mission faithfully and diligently until Jesus comes. So what did we learn from this passage? The ascension of Jesus was vital to motivate the apostles to be effective witnesses for Jesus. And so we examine the text under three headings. The call to be witnesses, the ascension of Jesus, the promised return of Jesus. Before I leave this text, I want to say two things. Number one, no one can hamper the spread of the gospel. Today, churches are being shut down, burnt down, etc. Christians are being abused, injured, persecuted, and even killed. The enemies of the gospel think that they are succeeding in wiping out Christianity, but they are ignorant. They are ignorant that the gospel is a living gospel. No one can hamper the spreading of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus will thrive no matter what happens. Because the gospel had thrived for the last 2,000 years, isn't it? And it is still thriving. Interestingly, the gospel thrives rapidly with great power under persecutions and tribulations. What makes Christians to witness zealously for Christ? The ascension of Christ and the promised return of Christ. It was the same for the apostles. So no one can hamper the spreading of the gospel. Second, I want to ask you this question. I want to be personal. I want to be personal to you. Are you actively witnessing for Jesus? You know, the book of Acts reveals to us how the apostles and the believers who were empowered by the Holy Spirit zealously witnessed Christ. And truly God blessed their evangelism efforts and the church grew. How about you? Our calling to be witnesses for Christ is urgent. 
Why? Because many people around us do not know Jesus. We must tell them about Jesus. And we must proclaim the gospel message to others as dying man. To dying man. You know, the message of the cross is foolish. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus suffered, died, resurrected, ascended. It's the message that we need to tell others. The forgiveness for sins, which cannot be found in any other religion, must be proclaimed. Many who are around you are without hope. Many who are around you have emptiness in their souls. What can fill the emptiness in their souls? Christ. It's Christ. So are you bearing witness to your family members, your relatives, your neighbors, your colleagues, and your friends? When was the last time you spoke about Jesus to your loved ones. Do you desire your loved ones to perish eternally? Our calling to be the witnesses for Christ is urgent because Jesus is coming back. And Jesus will come back like a thief in the night. It is going to be sudden and it is going to be a surprise to all of us and so we must live each day as our last day be ready be prepared be watchful do you truly believe in the truths found in this passage if you truly believe in the truths found in this passage if you truly believe in the doctrine of the resurrection if you truly believe in the doctrine of ascension of Jesus and if you truly believe in the second coming of Christ then I urge you to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ just like the apostles amen let's pray our gracious father we thank you Lord for this wonderful text father we heard your word but help us not to be just hearers of your word, but cause us to be doers of your word. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, turn us to be effective witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are. Grant us the boldness to open our lips, to proclaim the message of the cross to others who do not know you. In all these things we ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.